him. You know what? That wasn't a hard name. What are we going to call him? Look at him. Hey, let's call him Spike. All right, good. Um, I love I loved the, the, what he said. He said, I walked in one way and I walked out a different way. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Really, really great line. And I do, I do remember, I mean, like, a lot of people come after church and say things and all, but I've never had someone come up after church and say, I don't know what just happened to me. You know, and then he expected me to have an answer. <laughs> and but the answer was Jesus. Wait, 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 wait. Just say, say it a little louder. Stand up so they can hear you. Come here, come here, stand here. Come here, come here. I know. Okay. I knew this is why we put him on video so we can control, you know, but here we are. No, the first thing Tim come here. said. Come they, they do, oh, no. We're doing live stream on top of that. Come on. Yeah. Uh, hi. hi, everybody out there. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Anyway, You're on video already. What are you hiding? It's the, no, it's the, the whole world. Thing, Tim, I, I didn't put in a video is the first thing that Tim said to me was, he said, let me ask you a question. When you die, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And I was born and raised Catholic, and I said, well, yeah, I think I'm a nice guy. I'm okay. I'm going to go to heaven. And that's when Tim explained to me, you're not going to go to heaven for your deeds or you know, definitely not for your looks, but... <laughs> I didn't say that. I might have been thinking it, but I didn't say it. Uh-uh. But, you know, he, he told me about Jesus and how he died on the cross for me. And we, we sat down, and I believe we read from the book of Matthew. And, uh, yeah, so I, I just had no idea who Jesus was. But I knew that day he was in me and, you know, tried to shake him a couple times, but still there. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Yeah. I'd like to thank every one of you in this church has helped me so much on my walk. Every one of you. Sometimes it's just a smile. It's just a touch on the shoulder. You know, because I have a lot of bad days, and we all do, but I just love this church so much, and just thank you all. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Mark, will you bring me my Bible? I left it back there. I kind of need it to preach with. <laughs> I think that last song kind of had me off a little bit, and I was just trying to get up to the front of the church there a minute ago. So, you know, and another thing um, that I appreciate that you said, brother, was that um, you talked about that you still have those days. And that's, that is something really important, and, I, and I've commented on this before, is that so often the church tries to sell a bill of goods that says, once you come to Jesus, everything's okay. And... And that's really not true. Um, He doesn't rescue us from life's circumstances. He walks with us through those circumstances. And I think you heard that in Chris's testimony, that, you know, those dark days or those difficult days are still there, but he, Christ, walks with him in those days now. So that's a really important thing in all. So grateful for you guys and for your posse, because you have a posse, you know. And so, that's great. Um, so, are we, how are we doing with the slides? Say it again. Fingers across. Good, that's good. All right, this is going to be the first one, okay? Sometimes there are things that don't belong where they end up in, around here. So, for take, for instance, this photograph here. That doesn't really belong there. You know what I mean? There, someone had an issue with perception and desire, and it was unmet as it tried to take that truck down that street. 
you know. And then there's also this car right here. This, this car is going the wrong direction. <laughs> Cars were not meant to go down. They were kind of meant to go, you know, like that. You know? This car is having a problem with where it's supposed to be. And then this car is redefining drive through <laughs> I don't know how that happens. And what do you think that ladder is up there for? <laughs> to take the order, you know? And then what makes someone think that this is a safe route to get anywhere? Hey, let's take a shortcut. All of those vehicles, those drivers needed some help, didn't they? They, they could have, they, you know, they could have been kept from their predicaments, perhaps, if someone had been able to help them. Someone had said to that driver, that truck, in the very first, like, this is not going to fit, you know. Or someone said to this guy here, this little bridge is not going to hold your car. Well, that's why major highways have guardrails. They're intended to keep cars on the road where they belong. And our passage today speaks about spiritual guardrails. So open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. Now, um, today I'm going to be reading from the J.B. Phillips translation. And wherever you are, just read it. And let's start in verse 14, and we'll end in the same place in a few minutes, regardless of what version you're reading from. Uh, So verse 14 reads like this from the J.B. Phillips translation. Yet you must go on steadily in all those things that you have learned, which you know are true. Remember from what sort of people your knowledge has come and how from early childhood your mind has been familiar with the Holy Scriptures, which can open the mind to salvation, which comes through believing in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the faith, correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him in good living. The Scriptures are the comprehensive equipment of the man of God, and they fit him fully for all branches of his work. Now, you might know that last phrase a little bit differently where it says that um, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's that word equipped that got my attention this passage as we talk about equip, send, serve, as we talk about to make committed followers of Jesus Christ. I've been studying this passage for some other things, and that equipped right there caught my attention, and I thought that we should spend some time looking at it together, all right? This passage here, this letter is written by the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy. It is probably the last letter that he wrote before he was executed by the Roman Emperor Nero. And he was writing this letter to a young man named Timothy that he considered like his own son. If you were to look in the very first of, 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 the, of the book prior, 1 Timothy, the, the letter to Timothy, the first one he wrote, there he addresses Paul as, "'My true child in the faith.'" Chapter 1, verse 2, my true child in the faith, he says. And then when he starts 2 Timothy, the second letter he wrote to him, he says to Timothy, my beloved son. And so here he is. This letter is dripping with emotion. Do you remember when Matt was here talking to us about seven arrows, and he talks about, think about the author, 
Think about the historical context. Think about what was happening when the letter was written, and then take that and apply it to what you're reading. And it helps us grasp the fuller meaning of it all. So you consider this, what do you think you might find in a letter like this? What sort of things might a father be saying to a son in such a situation? What do you, what do you think a father would say if he's writing to his son and saying, listen, I have some things I want to tell you. Talk to me. What are some things he might say? Huh? You're going down the wrong path. He's, he's encouraging them not to go down the wrong path. Okay. What else? What else? Say it again. I'm proud of you. Good. Yeah. What else would, would a father say? Very good. Share his personal experiences so his son would learn from them and know about them. Paul does that. That's a great, great observation. Did you read this already? Yeah. All right. Anyone else? Keep the faith. Say it again. Share, so the, Paul would share his failures so his son would learn. Excellent. Yeah. Anyone else? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Good. Anyone else? Last call. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what parents say a lot to our kids. Sometimes you're even, you might be standing alone when you're standing for the right thing. Absolutely. Very good. And what's funny is that all of those things are probably said in this letter somewhere or another and in certain words one way or another. And so it's absolutely, he's, he's not going to waste any ink in this letter on something that's trivial. He is going to absolutely be writing with great purpose and great intent and great urgency. Every stroke of ink on that parchment has meaning. But what he does in this passage, in verse 14, he says there one phrase. You, however, continue. He's comparing the instruction uh, uh, he's about to give to Timothy to something else. He says, but you. So the but has to refer to something else. That's the way grammar works. The but is referring to something else. There's a contrast. There's a comparison happening here. And he says, and, and obviously it seems, if he says, but you continue, it must mean that someone else, something else has not been continued. And that's exactly what's happening in this book. In 2 Timothy, Paul refers to other people who have turned away, as he puts it, in verse 115, he says, But you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. In chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Men who have gone away from the truth. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, let me read that passage too. It's a longer passage, but I want to read it to you. Because you'll think that Paul was writing this about today. But we've all thought that about our day, whether we read it 20 years ago or not. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Chapter 3, verse 1, verse 2. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power and avoid such men as these. Wow, he got on a roll there, didn't he? And then he says, for among them 
are those who entered into households and captivated weak women and weighed down with sins and led them on in various impulses, always learning never to come, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he mentions two men from the time of Moses, Janus and Jambres, and he said these men also opposed the truth. Here in, in chapter 3, he highlights all these manners of people who begin to oppose the truth in these ways, and he compares them to an Old Testament example. In chapter 4, verse 4, he says, turn away, that, that men will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And then finally, in chapter 4, verse 14, as he's closing the book, in the very last verses, he mentions one man by name. Alexander the coppersmith, he says, did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. All of these have left the truth. All of these have opposed the truth. And that's why Paul says to his son, but you, don't be like that. You, continue in the truth. Continue. What is he supposed to continue in? Well, Paul does a fine job of doing what many of you said. He's going to tell him what to continue in. Chapter 1, verse 5, he said, You had a sincere faith from your grandmother Lois, from your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that that is in you. Continue in that. Chapter 1, verse 13, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and the faith and the love which is in Christ Jesus. Retain that standard. Continue in that. Verse 14, guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Continue in that. Chapter 2, verses 22, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Continue in that. Chapter 3, verse 10, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Continue in that. And then as he begins to close the letter, he writes these words in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which we read a moment ago. He says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the faith and correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him in good living. The Scriptures are the comprehensive equipment of the man of God and fit him fully for all branches of his work. Did you, you read that phrase there at the end? The scriptures are the comprehensive equipment of the man of God. I could go around to all of you and, um, and ask you what you do, and then I'd say, what is your equipment? Now, nowadays, most of us are going to say it's a computer, but even within that computer, you'd say you use certain software. But, you know, you go around and you'd say, Terry, what is your equipment? I have knives, I have spoons, I have pots, I have pans, you know? Michael, I'd say, what is your equipment? I have books, I have plays, I have scripts, I have literature. You know, I go around the room like that. What is your equipment? Because that is the equipment you need to do your job. And what does Paul say our equipment is to do our job? He says right there, he says, it is the comprehensive equipment of the man of God, and it fits him for all branches of his work. Everything he's going to do, he's going to get equipped for it right here in these pages. Timothy, he's saying, you know all these have gone away from the faith. 
They've opposed the truth. They've turned their ears away from the things of the truth. But not you. Continue. This is how you continue. You depend on the Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture. It's all that you're going to need. Because it is the truth. John, in, in John 17, 17, Jesus says he's praying for his disciples. He says, sanctify them in the truth. And then he defines what truth. He says, your word is truth. This, this is truth. Sanctify them means set them apart. So he says, set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. We are set apart because of what's in these pages. Paul says that the Scripture is inspired by God. Inspired. That word inspired, it is not used anywhere else in all these pages. That word is not used anywhere else. It's used one time right here in this passage. And he says, this stuff, this ink is inspired. This stuff is literally the breathed, is breathed by God. It is his words. It is his words. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of a man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by his Holy Spirit. Do you get that? He says, Nothing that we have here was something that a man thought it would sound good. It would fit the narrative. God needed my help, so I wrote this. He goes, that's not in there. That's not there. He says, what we have here is only what God gave and used and spoke to these men about through the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 There, Paul is writing, and he says, And for this reason we are also constantly thank God that when you received us, when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, for if that really is, for but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. He says to them, I am so grateful for you. Because a lot of people just think that we're just men talking, but you understood that you were hearing the word of God himself, and that's how you took it. And by doing that, you came to believe in Christ as your Savior. God spoke to the authors of the Bible, and he gave them words that he wanted them to say. He wanted them to write down. And he says, Timothy, you continue in this, because it is the very word of God spoken to you. It's written to you. It is for you. And then he says this. He says this in chapter 2, verse 2. I want you to go there and look at it. I want you to go there and look at it. He says this. And the things which you've heard from me and the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will also teach others as well. So he says, continue in this. He says, everything that you've learned, everything that you've been taught, Take that and turn around it and give it to somebody else. 2 Timothy 2.2. Give it to somebody else. That's what it's for. You can't bankroll it. You can't put it in a vault. You can't put it behind a dam. He says, take it and turn around and find somebody else that you're going to give it to. 
Because what happens in that is when you do that, you find that it becomes richer, deeper, more meaningful to you and your life as you turn and give it to others. So I'm just going to pause right here. Side note, really quickly, and that's that that's why we emphasize discipleship and mentoring and one-on-one stuff. Because you're not always doing it for the other person, you're also doing it for yourself because things go deeper in you as you disciple others. This passage says it's profitable, it's beneficial, it's capable of teaching us, of correcting us, of training us in righteousness. And the end result of that is we are equipped for good works. But if that's not enough, in Hebrews 4.12, there the writer of Hebrews says this about the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Think about what it's saying. Think about this. He says this This is alive. He says that it's active. He says that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it pierces the division of soul from spirit, of joints of marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This. Think about this. Most of us, when we go to the county fair or whatever it is, you know, the fair at St. Mike's, wherever we go, and they have those funky mirrors, I always want to stand in a skinny mirror. It's never enough, but I like it anyway (laughs) because it makes me feel good about myself. God's Word is not a county fair mirror. It's going to show you who you really are but then it gives you the hope of who you are becoming as well. It does what Chris talked about, because in here he says, I am going to discern the hearts and intention, the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. So you might think you have fooled yourself. You might think you have fooled others, but let me just show you who you really are. And he says, now then, step away from the county fair and that mirror and open up this mirror and stand in front of it and look at it. Because in here, he'll say, this is wrong. He'll say, this is right. He'll say, you are beaten down, hide in me. He'll say, you have hope in me. He says, you have peace in me. He says, this is how you do this. This is how you manage that conflict. This is how you manage that hurt. This is how you manage that pain. This is how you forgive those who are unforgivable. This is how you do that. This place right here will give you a mirror and teach you how to do these things. This, this, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And when you ask this, that of this book, it says, the fairest Lord Jesus. For you were once lost in an enemy of Christ, sinner bound by your sin nature, but Jesus found you, cleaned you up, washed you with his own blood, 
called you his own, adopted you in his family, called you there, set you aside, protected you, escorted you into eternity with him. The fairest of them all is the Lord Jesus. And he's brought you under his wing to take care of you and to walk alongside of you in anything that happens in your life. Second Timothy was written about men who had left the road, who had plunged over the side of the road, down the edges of hills, into streams and creeks, into places they weren't meant to be. And when they left the faith, they left the road. And Paul says that the Bible is like guardrails that keep us on the road and that will keep us in the faith. Life is like that so much of the time. It is nothing but a sheer drop-off on either side. And some of y'all feel like, that. I don't have a picture of it right now, but some of y'all feel like that the front end of your car is hanging off of that bridge right there, and the back end of your car is just teetering, and you wonder what's holding you in place, and it's Jesus. Some of us have intentionally driven our cars off here because we says, look at me, I can fly. And he catches you in midair, puts you back on the road. says, no, you can't. Come on, fool. No, you can't. Some of you insist on continuing to try and fly. And he said, this time I'm going to let you find out you can't. And when you hit the bottom, I'll pick you up. When you hit the bottom, I'll pick you up. I'll put you back up there, and we'll start over again. He says to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 15 of this book, Present yourself, be diligent to present yourself, approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Throughout this book, he's talked about things that people who oppose the truth and left the truth, and he continues to say to Timothy, you know the truth, stay in the truth. And this is what truth looks like. He continues to say that. And then he gets to the end of the letter, almost to the very end, and he says, Now, Timothy, these passage, this, this passage here, it defines where you find truth because Scripture is inspired by God. And it will equip you for everything you need. It will take care of you. But the only way of accurately handling the word of truth is to use it, to study it, to learn it, to read about it. And so you could go through this room and you could go and just say, how did you learn to do what you do? And, and there's probably not many of us who would say, I learned how to do it the very first time I picked it up. You know, I would say to Michael, you know, Michael did your very first, <laughs> I had to even say it for myself, the very first time I spoke here at Crossing, I cringe and I'm grateful that most of you are not here any longer. And most of you were not here at that time. It was really terrible. It was a Sunday night service 
ages ago. Some of you, we'd walk around this room and say, how did, how did you learn what you, you do? And you say, I failed a lot. I learned a lot. I had to do it over and over and over again. And, and most of us would say, and I'm still learning. And, and that is what you have to do if you're going to become, if you're able to be able to say that you're unashamed for being able to, that you accurately handle the word of truth. It's that you've, you, it's got to be in your hands. Its pages need to be marked with your fingerprints. And it needs to have like, I have a one, a one Bible that has a place where a pickle out of a cheeseburger fell on it. It needs to be marked with real life in it. It was a great cheeseburger. It needs to be marked with real life in it. It needs to have your, you know, it just, and, and then as you use your Bible in that way, that's how you learn to handle it well. How can we say that we're following him if we're not in his word? How can we say that we're his disciple if we don't know him because he's here? This is how we learn about him. How can we say we're his ambassador if we're, if we're representing him to the world and we say, this is what Jesus believes about this issue? Can someone tell me what he believes, please? Because that's not the ambassador he's looking for. He's looking for an ambassador who knows him well enough that you step into the arena and say, this is what Jesus believes about this. As his ambassador, I speak on his behalf. And it's here in his word. Let me show you where it says it. It's right here. When we talk about being equipped here at Crossing, let's be clear, we cannot be equipped without being in God's Word and reading the Bible for yourself and studying it for yourself. And that's why we featured the Seven Arrows Bible Study Method for the Bible Conference, for the Equipping Conference, because we want to give us enough tools that if anyone says, I just am not getting yet, is there another way I can try this? Yes, try this. And then if you've done that for six or seven months, you go, it's not working. I come back and say, then let's try this. Because we've got to be in the Word. But the thing is, though, is David says that God's Word is like a treasure. And you do not find treasure sitting on the couch or on the golf course or on the Xbox or on Facebook or on Snapchat or on Pinterest. You don't find Him there. You find Him by being in the Word. Diligently. Looking for treasure there. And no one bears treasure near the surface. And God didn't either. We need to be in the word, looking for it. And he rewards us when we are. But even after everything I've just said, we shouldn't go to the Bible as a self-help book or as a how-to manual. The Bible is not about how to behave. It's about who to behold. And when we look at the Bible for self-help, it becomes a book that is just about how we behave. It becomes just another, like, one-minute manager. It becomes another, like, the art of persuasion. And it's not that. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Redeemer of the world. It is Him who is alive and active in here. This book is about Jesus 
And we come to this place where we want to come in here and not learn how to fix our problems. We want to learn about the one who will fix our problems, who will walk us through our situations. And as we come through here and we find him to behold, that is the point. It is Jesus. It means that we come into the scripture and we find him here. We look for him here like treasure. And when we find him here, we consider him. We gaze upon him here in the pages of the Bible. And when we look at him, it's like looking at that, the, the, the northern lights as they dance through the sky and, and people stop and say, I can't believe I'm seeing this. People stop and they say, can you take a picture of this? This is incredible. I want to show others what I saw today. Look at the sunset. Look at the lightning. Look at that. And when we are in Scripture and we, and we come to this place and we find him and we go to our small group and we say, look at what I found about him this week. Look at who he is. Look. 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 And we behold him. And we find him in that way. And then we find that we follow him because we love him, not because he fixes our lives. We follow him because he's glorious and he's worthy, because he is beautiful. But we don't ever do that with a book like this. It always has to be like this. And then when you open it, you've got to turn those pages. And then not only that, not only that, he says, those who know and do will be blessed. He is glorious. He is beautiful. He is worthy of beholding, stopping, gazing, considering, worshiping. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you and we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you've revealed yourself in Scripture like this, and that you wrote this letter to Timothy through your servant Paul, and it's like writing a letter to us. For you woo us, and you encourage us, and you, you correct us, and you train us. And we find that all that we have need for life, for understanding our relationships, and for understanding and looking at life, we find here in this word. Father, may we not treat it in a profane way. May we not treat it in a cavalier manner, but may we treat it like it is a letter from you as it is. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to just make one more comment, and that's that it is in, this, it is in the pages of this book right here that people find out that they can have their shame and their guilt 
washed away. It is right here in this book right here. that those who are wondering what to do with the guilt that they feel, that the shame that they feel, that the problem with the things that they do, they don't know how to deal with it. It is inside of this book that they find out that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay for their sins so that they can believe that for themselves and come into a place where they can escape their guilt and their shame, and find that they can have the kind of peace that's promised here, find that they can, kind of, they can have the hope that is promised here, because in this life, apart from Jesus, life can be very unpeaceful and very hopeless. If you're here today, and that's your status, that you feel like you have no hope, then I would plead with you to come and talk to me after the service, to come and talk to me and find out how you can have the same... T- type of experiences, Chris, where you can come, where you walked in here one way today, and you can walk out of here a different way today by placing your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. If that's you, come and talk to me. Or better yet, talk to someone you're sitting around because there are many people in this room who can talk to you about what it means to place your faith in Christ. All right? Guys and gals, there's a few things I want to just draw your attention to today. If you have a, a, a bulletin here, I'd like for you to just take the, the little card inside. It's called a connection card. And if you're a guest with us today, we'd love to have you uh, just let us know you're here. And if there's a way we can be praying for you on the back, we'd love to be doing that. We pray for our people every single week, so we'd love to be praying for you as well. And also, on the connection card, you can see there's a few things to sign up for. for our, our, our equipping classes, As a matter of fact, if you... Um, are concerned about the equipping class for financial peace, and you know that there's a charge for it, then you can attend the financial peace class this Thursday. It's the first class is this Thursday night at 6.30 down in um, the uh, East Wing Hall. You can attend the class without any cost. So just show up and see if you think it would be helpful to you. And if it is, then you can take it from there. And if you're, and if you're tight for cash, I can work with you on that. We can make a deal. Honest. It will be a good deal. All right? So... Um, anyway, so you can, you can take the class. The other class, Seven Arrows, you can still step into that. And the Knowing God class with Scott Brubaker. All of those classes you can still step into. The Chili Cook-Off, we really, really, really need you to let us know if you're coming to Chili Cook-Off so we can prepare well for it. So just say Smith Family 4 or whatever it is. And then let us know you're bringing chili so that we can also make sure we have enough food. All right? So please mark that down and turn these in or email us or just let us know in some way, shape, or form. Okay? Um, also today, um, if last week when we did the ministry fair, thank you to everybody who is a part of the ministry fair. I have announcement for the table winners in just one second. I'll say at the very end. But one thing we did wrong last week, we realized, is that we put Mary Montanian in guest service at the guest service table. So all of you guys thought that she was just there being a guest service person. She wasn't recruiting. So today we put her in the back of the room back there, and she's going to be recruiting back there in the back of the room, or someone's going to be recruiting in the back of the room for guest services. So if you're interested in guest services, you can go back there and find out more about that because we do need more people in that ministry, all right? Um, let me see, let me see. Elders update in just a few minutes downstairs in the East Wing Hall. Um, and then uh, I just want to welcome Cameron and Sarah Mahini. They're here visiting today. So hi, Cameron. Hi, nice to see you. Um, and then uh, 
Also, I want to keep in front of you the designated gift for the picnic, We'd for the new uh, playground out there, I mean. We'd love to have some, to be able to meet that goal sooner than later. And then finally, I want to also just give you a prayer request, something just to make you know about Betsy Skrzynski, always sits right over here. Um, Betsy's mother, Betty Kent, passed away on Friday. And so we want to be praying for the family. She'd been in hospice for maybe a month, but we still want to be praying for them and, um, and just looking for an opportunity to minister to them.